Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty Sessions, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. Please join me as we start liberating dreams one episode at a time. Hello, Liberty listeners, and welcome to another episode of Liberty Sessions. This week, we are so pleased to be bringing you Jennifer Yen of Perlease. And before we get into our traditional uh, interview, Jennifer was somewhat of a villain in her past. So Jennifer, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, it's nice to be here. So I used to fight Power Rangers, and now I save complexions with Perlease Beauty inspired by my grandmother's Asian beauty rituals. Okay. So my kids are going to be, think I'm so cool that I actually spoke with a power (laughs) ranger today. Um, And then I think you're so cool because you're going to like help us change our beauty rituals through Perlis. So I'm excited for this interview. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about sort of how you came to launch and now run Perlis? What's the backstory? Yeah. So when I was on Power Rangers, you know, I had to spend 15 hours a day under heavy makeup and bright lights. And within six months, this wrecked my skin and it really took a toll on my confidence. I mean, I tried everything to fix my skin, natural products, organic products, luxury high-end brands, and nothing worked. And that's when I rediscovered my grandmother's Asian beauty secrets. Now this is over 10 years ago. And so, and it worked. And Mm -hmm. that's what inspired me to start a skincare line that was inspired by Asian beauty rituals, Asian beauty secrets, and that was safe for sensitive skin. And it was at the intersection of natural actives and science. And you hear that a lot, but over 10 years ago, that was, you know, Asian beauty Asian beauty wasn't a thing and neither what in naturals was just starting to be on the rise. And so you, this, the combination of those two things, you've had 10 years to sort of bring to market. And it sounds like you've, you have your footing or had your footing before some of these newer brands, um, are, have come onto the market. Do you feel like that's given you a little bit of an edge or do you feel like there's just a lot of uh, new information or even noise around the Asian beauty uh, regime or regimen, rather? Yes. No, it was, um, you know, I, I'm so thankful that there are a lot of the, a lot of Asian inspired brands because it just sort of legitimizes, uh, you know, my culture mm. and are 5,000 years of time-tested Asian beauty secrets, which I always believed and knew it was effective and preventative and it worked. And so did my grandmother and her grandmother and generations of women in my family. So, you know, when I first started, it was really hard to actually get my footing. We, I'm grateful that we are now, but you know, over 10 years ago, it was challenging. You know, e-commerce wasn't where it's at now. Asian beauty secrets just wasn't embraced. It was because it wasn't as well known in America. And I was also a first time entrepreneur. So I had so many obstacles, you know, odds stacked against me. Sure. It's interesting that you say, and I think we're starting to, we're starting to understand that as entrepreneurs more and more, but it's interesting that you talk about how when other brands come out that are 
like-minded, we'll say. So in, in your case, other Asian beauty brands, it actually bolsters each brand. It doesn't necessarily create um, competition in a negative way. It actually creates competition in a positive way. It's like the message of Asian beauty or whatever it is, donuts, you know, yogurt, what, whatever the thing is. Um Exactly. It ends up being supported by that. And so I'm interested to talk more about competition with you. But first, I want to go, I want to keep leaning into the culture piece because I think, you know, you grew up as a Chinese American in Alabama. So you had all sorts of stuff around you that were influencing who you were and forming who you were at a very young age. When did you sort of begin to embrace or lean in or, or were you? Was it always something that you leaned into your culture? Like, when did you really think, I want to create a product that was informed by this heritage and I want to bring that forth into, um, into a culture that perhaps doesn't know about this? Like, how, how much of that was, was happening for you or how much of that really encouraged you to, to bring Perlis into the market? My my Asian heritage yeah, or American yeah. oh, Asian, yes, yeah. a lot because you know growing up, even though I grew up in a very suburban small town, Alabama, literally there was only white people or, or African Americans, and so uh, it was, and there was me and my family, yeah. and but we always spoke Chinese at home mm-hmm. with my parents. I mean, I didn't speak Chinese with my brothers. We spoke. Uh, Mandarin at home with my parents and my mom and dad had a Chinese restaurant. So always ate Asian food. The heritage was very deep um, inside me and always, you know, when I was at home, but obviously when I went to school, I was speaking English, I was dressing like everybody else. And so I was definitely, you know, there, there's truth. Like I'm not American, but I'm not full Chinese. I am Chinese American from Taiwan. So it, and it's really hard to identify with well, what it's like, well, I identify with both, yeah. you know, and I think a pure lease is a reflection of that. It's mod, it's being modern. It's being, uh, infusing modern science, parts of Western culture, but on the inside, it is all Asian inspired, you know? So, it, I w- I'm very influenced by food, their health, the health benefits, the health benefits of Asian um, plants mm-hmm. and herbs and foods and actives, and also our philosophy on graceful aging, on wellness, on longevity and health. And I, it's yeah, so a lot I would say, like yeah, more than fifty percent for sure. <laughs> well, and it sounds like you found a sweet spot where it's the intersection of those things. You both yes. leaned into the heritage, but you also moved forward or stepped forward in thinking about what's the future of the beauty industry. What are they looking for? What's missing? What are the modern sciences that can improve upon some of the things that you learned about or that your grandmother was relying on. And Perlise is sort of the intersection of those two things. And I, the reason I'm spending extra time on this is I think it's um, not only are we spending a lot of time on, on it as a culture, but I think brands really need to help. Or we want to help brands really identify what makes them unique and different and how much of the, that might be pulling in from their heritage or their background or where they grew up or whatever it is. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I love that. Let me also ask you a question about, I'm going to go back to the actress in you. So 
as an entrepreneur, you are often getting in front of people. My guess is you've been at many beauty trade shows that you've been speaking or on panels that perhaps you've had to pitch to people to ask for resources or just to tell your story. Did your background as an actress help kind of cultivate your ability to pitch um, and to get in front of people? Absolutely. You know, as an actress, you're always being rejected. And you have to have thick skin. You know, I mean, that's just, yeah. it's so simple. And you're always trying to sell yourself, whether Part it's, of it. you know, the way I look or the way I can act, the way I can speak. And it just, I mean, I think acting is definitely the hardest profession ever because you can work so hard and never get anywhere. And you're just constantly being rejected over and over again. And so when I became an entrepreneur, again, same thing. When you first start out, you're getting rejected left and right, whether it's, I used to cold call stores, I used to call buyers, all of this. And we still, and I still get rejected, yeah. you know, even now, but it's in, you know, you just sort of, it, you, you build really thick skin. And for me, I'm just like, oh, this isn't a thing. They just, it, it just doesn't bother me anymore. So yes, when I go to trade shows, same thing, because I, I do, I'm an avid believer that I should be at, at as many trade shows as possible because for me, I love to talk to customers. So I sell to them like I would if I was a sales associate for Pure Lease. You know, I'm like, oh, have you heard about Pure Lease? You know, let me, let me tell you about it. And I put the product on their hand. I tell them all the benefits of it, you know, and sometimes like, no, I I don't want to use it or I'm, and to me, I I just like my mission is to try to create as much awareness as possible around Purely's and show women how our products can change their skin. So I'm not afraid of rejection. And to answer your question, (laughs) acting absolutely helped. And I think it helps me be really comfortable in front of the camera. Yeah. And you just have to, there can be a thousand people in the room and you just have to channel that energy and just be like, you know, I'm just going to do this. And it doesn't matter what people are thinking or saying or the way they're looking at me. You just have to do it. You know, and it's been absolutely (laughs) helpful. And and as an actress, you're an entrepreneur too. Yes. You're taking on a lot of risk. Yes, there's nothing comfortable about it, and it's it's totally full of risk, and there's no guarantee to success. Let me ask you. You said something about when you're in a um, when you're at a trade show, you act as a sales associate. Does that mean that you don't tell them that you're the founder? Not unless they ask me. And, and, and some people actually can catch on to it. They're like, oh, you know, the product so well, you're so passionate about it. And, and because the trade shows are always fast paced, if I feel that it will intrigue them more or bring more credibility to the brand, I will absolutely tell them. Like if they're like, well, you know, a lot of times like, well, I have really sensitive skin. And that's when I'll say, you know, I do too. And I actually am the creator. And the reason why I created these products is because I used to be an actress on Power Rangers and I have super hypersensitive skin. So I know that these products will work for you and it'll actually help you. So where, what are the situations or scenarios in which you would not mention that you were the founder and why? Well, usually if they know the product and they're Uh already ready to buy and not because I don't want to spend more time with them, then I just feel, okay, they don't need to be convinced. (laughs) They already know about the product and most likely they either know the backstory and, uh, 
and and I found that a lot of the people who actually discover that I, I am the founder, they actually are so surprised I didn't tell them. It's because I don't want them to treat me differently or I don't want, it's just, and I want the interaction to be really genuine. Yeah. And it's I don't a great want- way for you to collect information on the brand, like what they're looking for. And perhaps if you lead with, I'm the founder, they may not be willing to tell you. But if they think you work for the company, they may give you some information that you can build on. <laughs> exactly. And then a lot of the times people will say, oh my God, it's amazing that you're here. And I would be thinking, why wouldn't I be? But I guess if you become so big, I understand. But I think that, you know, companies at my stage or even or even two times bigger or even smaller should always be as much as they possibly can, you know? And you are at a, I mean, I was just on your site earlier looking at Allure and Birdie and Vogue and Marie Claire and all these people who have featured your product. And by all accounts, it would seem as though you have arrived and yet you're saying, of course, I'm still going to the trade show. Of course, I'm still representing my brand. You know, oh, yeah. I'm, no, I'm I don't there. think we've arrived at all. I always tell my team that I'm like, don't ever get comfortable. Like you always have to be working really hard to make sure the customers are happy. We mm-hmm. always have to spread awareness. And I always say, you know, um, you're not creating any sales if you're having people just come up to you and say, I want that BB cream, I want that sheet mask. I'm like, you're an order taker. I'm like, if you really want to create sales and awareness, you need to actually be in front of your booth and pull people in. Mm -hmm. Because I tell them, even with all of that press, I always say, but nobody knows us. Yeah, isn't that interesting that you're not resting on that? Yes, that's how hard business is and that's how hard being an entrepreneur is and that's how hard sales are. Because even when I'm at the trade shows, 10 people will come to our booth. Maybe six of them have never heard about us. Yeah. And so you're telling that story, you're enticing them, intriguing them, and ultimately trying to close them. Yes. And then if they don't, um, you know, buy then it's more about, well, they know about us now and they will remember us hopefully. And it's just, it is definitely creating an organic, like word of word of mouth awareness. Sure. Let me ask you a question because I know a lot of people who are listening who are kind of doing the trade show thing, regardless of the product, they may um, not be aware of how many times they have to touch a potential customer. So in this case, it's a buyer for a store um, or the store owner themselves. How many times do you think you touch um, a a buyer uh, before they actually buy per lease? Like how many points of contact are there? I think these days it's like 10 times. And what I mean by that is that they have to see you on social media an influencer needs to be talking about you, a makeup artist. I think the traditional magazines like Allure, Vogue, they give you credibility and they just have to like, they have to constantly see you. And it could be you sending them e-blasts or them seeing you at trade shows because not everybody, not every brand is going to be able to get magazine coverage. But I think it's just being consistent. I I like that you've given us a number. To the point where the buyers cannot ignore you anymore. Yeah. Because there's buyers that I've been talking to for over 10 years. I'm not kidding you. Wow. And they see us and like, okay, no, we don't really want to take on Pure Lease. And then they, they're like, oh, well, we saw them at this trade show. Then influencers are talking about them. And then we have buyers literally that are now contacting us 10 years later. 
So Jennifer, why would you continue to pursue a buyer after 10 years? Like, wouldn't you just say, forget it, let's go on to kind of some fresh blood and, and spend our energy on them? Oh, yes. No, I always am about, I am always about that. Meaning we have to continue to discover new buyers, new points of distribution, new stores. However, you know, for me, it's a challenge too. You know, I always want to be up for a challenge. If they say no, you know, there's that quote saying, well, it means no right right now and turn it into maybe and ultimately turn it to a yes, right? So to me, it's always... Uh, it's a self-challenge sort of process I put myself through. And when you try and put them or get them from no to yes, is the goal um, strategic? So by that, I mean, okay, they came into the trade show booth, they saw you and they were like, no, we're not into this. And is your next point of contact with them via email? Is it a note? Is it I'm going to get their name and the next time I'm in town, I'm going to pursue them or invite them into the, like, what do you do to, to sort of stay connected to these people? And I think a lot of us fear that, um, in doing so in getting them from no to yes, we're going to like wear them, not wear them down to get the yes, but wear them out to where they're like, not only no, but never, (laughs) what do you do to, to, to kind of cultivate that relationship? It's, um, it's definitely a fine balance because, Mm -hmm. I definitely follow up with the right buyers or I have my team do it. And then when we do continue to spend time on if they don't respond and at some point, like, you know, you have to know, okay, well, it's not like, it's not, this is not worth my time because I only have limited resources. I have to move on to the next, but I do think it's worth it to build up your credibility. And what I mean by that is like, whether it's have an influencer talking about you or some piece of news that's that is elevating your brand. And if it's being featured, then you send that piece of article or that piece of press to the buyer and say, oh, I know it's been a while since we've we've connected, but I just want to share you uh, share with you some news. We were just featured in Harper's Bazaar or Vogue. I mean, that's big, but it's not necessarily going to get you, get you to a yes. And a lot of the times what I learned, because I used to take it so personal, yeah. was, you know, buyers are given a budget. They're given limited shelf space. And yeah. I used to think, oh my God, like what am I doing wrong? But it's it's just a function. Just same with us. We're buying supplies and we're sometimes it's seasonal and sometimes it's we don't need this much or we need more of this. And so it is, it is a not a lot of it is out of their control too. So we need to keep in mind it's like dating. It's sometimes it's, it's not yes. you, it's me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And but but now with the tools that we have. My, I always say, how great is it to be in business now where you don't have to wait to see if a store can launch you their spring or summer or fall. You're like, no, I'm going to sell now on my own. Right. And so when you say that, that leads me to believe why I happen to know, but for our audience, you are both selling to retailers as well as doing direct um, sales on your website. Exactly. We do way more of that. When I first started, we were only in retail stores. Oh, and really? Yes. We have reinvented ourselves with the times because we we launched like pre-recession mm-hmm. and like right around the recession. And it was just so chaotic and we almost failed. I mean, we did pull back from the market. When we relaunched, it was a whole new world. And people, buyers were really conservative 
They weren't taking on any risks. They weren't launching any new brands. They were focusing on the big brands that that advertised. You know what I mean by that was sure. taking out three pages and allure sure. or glamour, and and because you were able to bring people to their stores, the brands right. were. They needed now, not only you on the shelf. They needed you to bring in the traffic. Yeah, you were, you like were, yeah. how disconnected is that when you think about it? Yeah, yeah. And yet they were trying to stay in survival mode as well. And so, you know, whether it was the best idea or not, we sort of understand <laughs> how people are all kind of trying to stay above water it, in yeah, this time. Yeah, exactly. So that was a really rough time. And so we had to find a way to, like you said, like find fresh blood, like find new territories and find a way to truly reinvent ourselves. Like where we are now is completely different than where we started and what my vision was 12 years ago when I've just started formulating and just starting out. It's like we, it's, that's how, that's life. That's, that's your journey of an entrepreneur. You think it's going to be one way and it ends up being so different, but I'm grateful. Like I love where we are now. Sure. And, and probably you're beyond your vision. Like you've envisioned it one way and now it's like, wow, we have multiple revenue streams. We have, you know, we're selling to in multiple stores as well as direct sales. We have exactly. this whole new, and we're going to get more into the social media in the second part, but we have all of these people that we can rely on that are, are not just, uh, you know, m- not just, I don't mean just that magazines aren't important, but we have other ways to get the word out and control the message um, that didn't literally didn't exist 12 and 10 years ago. That's um, right. So I'm going to ask you, because you were just talking about the recession, was there ever a time you felt like, I'm just throwing in the towel? And and if so, what kept you going? Absolutely. You know, I did many times because it was so hard. You know, just being a young first-time entrepreneur, I made many mistakes. And, you know, for example, I didn't know how to negotiate. I paid way too much for products in for the cartons. And I focus a lot on the product and creativity, not so much on the business side. And it was because I didn't have that experience. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, I had taken equity out of my condo to self-finance my company. And it just, when the recession hit, it was like debt on top of debt. And then I was so inexperienced on how to solve financial and business problems. And I just dug myself into this massive hole and literally I had no money left. And I was like, I don't know if I can hang on. Like my condo was going to foreclosure. The banks were calling me every day. Wow. You know, at the time, my partner who, uh, my baby's dad was, you know, really supportive emotionally. And he, you know, he was, he just was so supportive. And then, I was like, I don't know if I can go on anymore. I mean, I looked at my account, it was like $40. When I think about it, it still brings tears to my, not like nothing brings tears to my eyes, except for if it's my child or even talking about this moment. But uh, I was like, I don't even know if I can go on anymore. And he was like, oh my God, I have $40 in my account. But what had happened was that summer before, you know, I had gone to New York San Francisco, LA, I try to meet with every single investor possible. And no investor wants to invest in someone who's desperate. And that's exactly what I was. I was desperate. I had nothing going on for me, nothing going on for my company. I was broken. And 
there's people who were really obviously helpful. Sometimes, in fact, I met some of my best friends during that time because they were being so helpful. And I'm still good friends with them today because they did so, they tried so hard to help me. And I'm so appreciative of that. But having said that, nobody invested. So what happened was I did go speak to a CEO of an online beauty company at the time who I still adore to this day because he said, I was like, can you just make an investment? He's like, no, we can't. He goes, but I think that there's something, you know, that we, I'm working with this company called My Glam uh, and they really need samples and they need product because they're doing uh, the subscription model. Uh, And I said, and I was like, okay. And I left that meeting, not even thinking about any, I was like, okay, whatever. He's never going to call me back. Literally the next day I was so exhausted from just spinning my head. I was taking a nap and he calls like, I don't know if I want to talk to him, but I did. He, I answered and he's like, Oh, Hey, and Jen, uh, this company wants to buy, you know, like 15,000 units. I was like, what? what? And this company happened to be Ipsy. It's now Ipsy. Yeah. It was called my glam. They're massive now. Right. And I'm so yeah. grateful to Ipsy. So Ipsy is, was our number one partner is our number one online partner. So they said, Hey, uh, well, you know, how much of the products? I was like, um, hold on, let me call you back. And I calculated it. It's like 30,000. He's wow. like, okay, well, I know you need money, so I'll send you a check. I go, no, I will come pick it up tomorrow. And literally, <laughs> I don't have time for the mail. <laughs> I'll be right I over. I can't wait five days, another five days. I go, no, 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 oh I'm gosh. coming tomorrow. And I'm not And did you, you have sample size product available or you didn't have I to? Did. You, no, oh, I had samples and they bought and they bought some full sizes, right? So that wow. really helped. And at the time, basically, what they told me was, like, you know, these bigger companies, they were like, "What's YouTube? We don't understand. We don't want this um, subscription company. We we don't we don't want to send out samples, and uh, because you can go get free samples at Sephora or Nordstroms or Bloomingdale's, mm-hmm. and but we didn't really have a choice, and they. So it was like a perfect part- partnership at the right time. Like they needed products, like none of the bigger brands were giving it to them and we needed an outlet. So they took, so we partnered and you know what? It was, a, it's a beautiful partnership. So in the end, they're massive now. They're huge. Every beauty brand wants to work with them and they helped reinvent us into a digital era with influencers. And now look at YouTube, look at influencers now, look at online, look sure. at subscription, you know? And I think that's a lesson in business It's like, you really can't, you really have to go into business with fresh eyes, like as a child, you know, yeah. you have to just try everything and you have, and you have to embrace novelty. Right. And so if had I been was like, what is this? Like embrace oh, novelty. No. I like yes, that. Sometimes you have to, you have to embrace novelty, and embrace the unknown, you know, and that's a lesson that I hope that I never forget because I know the bigger you get, the more successful that you are. You kind of want to hang on to like what's worked for you in the past and you're afraid to take on risks. But I'm telling you this and your listeners this as an example and of had I not made that choice, that pivotal moment, we would not be where we are. And had I continued to be like, no, I want to continue being in Henry Bendel's and Fred Siegel. I don't want to go online. Like I need to be high-end prestige. Where would we be? We wouldn't even be yeah. existing. And it and I'm flabbergasted at a lot of the companies that I started out with. They are literally trying to do the same thing that they were 
10 years ago when I met yeah. them. And I'm like, Still trying wow. to break in that. And by the way, there's fewer Fred Siegels. And I mean, if, yeah. if we look at what's happened in that, that market, things yes. have shifted considerably. One of the things I love that you're saying, and I think the moral of the story is, it, you know, you're down to $40. And what do you do when you're right, when you're thinking, should I give up? You go yes. out and you ask for money. You go yes. out and you have conversations. You go out and you meet with people. You try and turn over more stones, even ones that you thought you'd already turned. And I think anyone exactly. who's listening to this, I don't want them to walk away and say, gosh, what a lucky break for Jennifer. No, no it, you created no that. I mean, you created I know, that luck. But it's more the harder you work, the luck luckier you get. I yeah. literally came yeah. from a whole summer in New York and then in San Francisco. And do you know, this was my very last meeting. Oh I was gosh. about to give up. I, I'm not love kidding it. you. I've got goosebumps. Yep. I yes. love that. And I think yes. that's, that is, I, I say this all the time. I used to think everyone could be an entrepreneur. There was an entrepreneur inside of us all. I think there are, there are creative ideas inside of us all that I will, I will hold on to, but I'm not sure if we're all created to be entrepreneurs. No. And the it's reason so is that sort of tenacity, that sort of dig deep, that sort of the, the, the risk tolerance that is required or the capacity for risk is so great. I'm actually really glad we're not all cut out for that because I think we need people who can support us and keep us thinking, you know, in reality and keep us um, balanced. And so when I hear that, I think, okay, Jennifer is truly an entrepreneur. She was able to go all the way to the edge and oh, and that's yes. that's not to say that you never question yourself as an entrepreneur. That's not to say that you're you have days when you want to throw in the towel. Um, it's that you you want to and you keep going. It's that you want you think that this is broken. I need to give up, and yet you keep going. And time and time and time again, we hear that part of the story. I want to ask you one last question before we go into part two. If you could go back to the Jennifer that launched twelve ten years ago and give yourself one piece of advice, piece of wisdom, what would it be? It would be to live more simply. I, that that would, and, and to tra have traveled more. Hmm. You know, I, I think that I'll say something, I'm not so proud of it, mm -hmm. is that I was very materialistic when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And that probably caused a lot of my ability not to be able to budget and to overspend and in not that it it partially attributed to what happened to me during the recession right and i just think that when you're young you should focus on enriching your lives outside of coveting material material items meaning go travel more live simply live in a live in a like a, a simple one bedroom you know i always say i it could be happy in a one bedroom apartment now. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that what well, I'll give a perfect example. When I was in college, this is my biggest regret and I don't have a lot of regrets, but this is one of my biggest regrets was in college. I had the opportunity to study abroad in London or China. And, but because I loved fashion, my apartment was filled with, you know, designer clothes and handbags. And I also worked at Nima Marcus where I got the discounts. And I was like, I <laughs> can't leave my apartment because all my stuff is here. And then I remember my uncle coming to visit me during graduation. He's like, oh, he goes, you have all this stuff because you're so empty on the inside. <gasps> you know what? You are so right. Looking back now, 
you know, I didn't understand that statement yeah. for the longest time. And he's so right. You know, we all love nice things. I mean, I, I still love nice, nice things, but it just doesn't drive me. And so that's a sort of a long sort of piece of advice. But I think that when I think back about my youth and I tell my team, because I have a awesome young women working for me, I always tell them that. I love that. And I think it's important as we are speaking to people who want to launch and grow or reinvigorate or rebrand or whatever the case is, is that when you make some of those decisions to live more simply, you can pour some of that into some of that energy, some of that emotional, financial, whatever the resources, you exactly. can pour some of that into something just that- Just space in your life. Yeah. And, you know? and I don't mean pour it into the business and be way off balance. I mean, pour it into something that you- um, you feel like you're called to do. Pour it yes. into something that is you important know, and meaningful. Exactly. And I want to actually learn. I, I actually want to add one more thing. If I would give one piece of advice is like learn to understand finances yeah. and learn to know that money is a tool for your freedom. It's 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 a mechanism for you to buy your freedom. It's for your freedom. And, and it's a free, it's a tool for happiness. You know, but not in a way where you think it's because if you're if you have freedom, you are happy. So I didn't understand that. Instead, I became a prison of all this stuff. Yeah. You know, I think I think young women need to understand budgeting and finances and need to know how to have an investment account, a savings account more than anything. And I learned that. Eventually, I learned it, but I I would be so much further along <laughs> had I learned it time. when I was younger. Oh, no, exactly. I remember walking onto my college campus, and I think it was Chase Bank or something like that at the time, and they were giving away, um, you could open a free checking account, and you got like a tote or whatever, I don't remember what it was, and I literally was like, wow, I have money. Like all these checks represented money, and it took a long time to realize that, that was just a piece of paper, and you still have no money. Um, <laughs> exactly. But it or credit took cards. some time. And then yeah. they kept charging me like $15 at the time. I think it's like for 30 or 40 now, but $15 every time I wrote on that piece of paper with no money to back it up, they were charging me. I was like, I don't really understand this system. <laughs> it took a minute. It took a minute. Um, yeah. thank you so much for that. We appreciate that. And we are so excited to delve into the second half of this interview where you're going to share with us all of your social media wisdom. So Liberty listeners, hang on for that. We'll be right back with you. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty Sessions on Apple Podcast. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping you to launch and grow your own ventures. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Windham and music by Jordan Flower. 